0: Hello and welcome to A's Plus, the San Francisco Chronicles podcast on the Oakland A's and Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Chronicle A's beat writer Susan Slesser, and today we welcome in Scott Boris, the super agent who represents number one draft pick Logan Davidson. He will tell us all about Logan Davidson and his background, and also he gives us his thoughts on extensions, long-term extensions for young players, and keep in mind that he represents Matt Chapman. Also, his thoughts on the A's future in Oakland. Then on Felde's Follies, David Feldman and I will talk about Lou Trevino and his recent issues, plus A.J. Puck. When should the A's start using him in the bullpen? We both have pretty strong feelings on that and many other A's topics. Next on A's Plus. Super Agent Scott Boras, last time we talked, Scott, I think for the podcast was after the A's selected Kyler Murray, which might be a whole uh, different story when he was here last year. But... Logan Davidson is here. He just signed. Uh, what can you tell us about Logan Davidson, the shortstop from Clemson?
1: Well, he's a switch hitter. Uh, he's got great hands, arm strength. Uh, his defense will play very quick in the at the major league level. And with all you know, really, really gifted young players, it's just really a matter of him getting uh, adjusted to the bat. Um, but plus arm and uh, frankly defensively I'm not sure there was a a better shortstop in the draft and I think I think the A's got something that normally in the draft you would say I hope this happens I think in a few years we're going to say that happened kind of what would happen with Matt Chapman yeah
0: well who, who you also represent now um you were telling me that davidson's also finished his co- college degree did so quickly obviously in three years um so a smart guy what, what's he what is he like as a person obviously good player and smart what else can you tell us
1: well his dad was a major leaguer who actually played with billy b oh and so <laughs> they, i think they knew a lot about him uh and you know it's probably when you have that heritage and you, know, you have a big league father and he raises you and And he's just been built for this process, very familiar with it. Um, And uh, I think when you have someone who's a learner in this game with all the information that's available, um, this is a guy that went to the Cape. And while most students are enjoying their summer, he's taking accounting and taking classes to graduate. And so knowing he was so prepared that he knew he'd only be in college three years and he wanted to get a degree before he left, so he planned for that, and I think he may be the only junior that I know that has a college degree and is drafted, so he's a very planned, meticulous guy.
0: Yeah, I like the sound of that. Did you have a pre-existing relationship with his dad, Mark? Did you represent him, or did you know him at all before this?
1: No, uh, we had we had watched Logan play in high school, and uh, his body wasn't quite under him yet, so we think he made the right decision to go to college. And uh, But we've been you know, with them and, and you know, kind of monitoring the situation. It's kind of came out to be what we thought it would be three years ago. Yeah.
0: Now, I asked him today during his press conference if he has like an ideal timetable when he might get to the major leagues. Do you? I mean, it, obviously, it's pure speculation, but, but when, when you, would you think maybe the earliest we might see a middle-of-the-diamond of the kind of player with power potentially get to the big leagues?
1: Well, the fact that he's a switch hitter, uh, the real question always is that you've got you've to perform your way through the minor leagues uh, and this is something that just takes at-bats and, and you're really I know from my perspective you just want to give a player enough at-bats uh, but with his defensive acumen uh, they know at the major league level that if they ever needed anybody uh, that could come up here and do the necessities uh, he certainly could but the hope is he'll get enough at-bats to get uh, both sides of the plate taken care of, and 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 really get used to pro velocity day in day out, and, and uh, so depending on his performance, he could move very quickly, no question.
0: I asked uh, Eric Bota today what if uh, Logan reminds him of anybody, and he said Corey Seager. Could you could you see that as a comp?
1: Well, we represent Corey Seagers, so, so yeah, we saw a lot of that okay. because when Logan was a high school player as a defender, certainly because he's a, a tall athlete, as is Corey. And uh, the certainly, Corey went out in the in the minor leagues and got himself about 1,200 at bats and then proved himself ready. So um, that's a tall comparison because Corey's such a great player. Uh, but Logan certainly has uh, done everything that we would est- estimate he would do. Hit for power in college as a middle infielder, which is pretty rare. and. Uh, so our, our expectations are pretty high.
0: Now, I, I mentioned that this time last year we were talking about Kyler Murray. I know you've been getting a little bit of flack today because Clemson also has a quarterback. What what have the A's been saying? Uh,
1: I think we're all happy of two things. One is that the Clemson quarterback is so good that I don't think he's going anywhere for a couple of years. And, and two is that we we took the football away from Logan three years ago. So. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well done, okay. very well done. Yeah. Um, you know, the A's best overall player, uh, I think it's fair to say, is Matt Chapman. Uh, you represent Matt, uh, A's fans would like to see him stay here long term, sign some sort of long term deal. I know the A's have had some interest in doing that. Uh, the free agent market, I know, comes into play, the CBA, all of that. Uh, what's kind of just your general thought on signing young players to long term extensions in this current uh, you know, labor market?
1: Well, I think for both sides, it's really productive, but it's hard to do because when you're going out and giving a a player, you know, a 10-year contract, um, you know, we've had great success with it. Um, Some have, some haven't. Um, A lot of it has to be the organization's comfort level. But in certain situations, you have to remember that when these guys first become free agents, the demand forms so great that the system you know makes it very very hard to keep these players because the values grow to levels that are beyond the current they, they make the new the new levels and um, that's difficult for a number of the franchise to do that so the way you keep players is you players who often are under control that you look at the current levels in the current market and you evaluate from there and that's the advantage of the team so um, they're rarely done because of the years and the amount of money. But on the other hand, we've we've I just did one for Xander Bogarts, for example, and, who had a, a year to go, or Steven Strasburg And so um, people say we don't do them, but I have a number of examples that we do. But there's also a number of instances where the, the meeting of the minds between the player and, and the team is. Uh, um, there's a lot of speculation, there's a lot of of evaluation and their major economic commitments when you're talking about players of that ilk. So um, we keep our ears open and we listen and uh, talk to ownership regularly about it. And um, you know, Oakland is in a a place where they're, they've got a lot of promise, which requires definition. And that definition has to be the sureties that they're gonna have a stadium sureties that the ownership certainly has the economic capacity because they're a very successful group and a very creative group to kind of change the paradigm here. It used to be that the A's philosophy because of the economics of the prior ownerships were were kind of they're the land and leave franchise. Right. And I think that there is more of a desire with the current ownership to to build a metric around a... uh, an Oakland that's becoming new in addition because you have a city that's evolving and tech companies and tech employees that want to live in this area and so and you have a city transforming you have a franchise transforming and the truth of the matter is when you're talking about a market of, of eight nine million people in the bay area and a place like this to live is that it should be you know as like other major market cities that have two franchises. It should be one of the premier franchises in the game because of the population, because of the uh, the success, and particularly in the Pacific Rim, when you're talking about young employees, corporate executives, you know, companies that are just merging into, into large uh, dynamics in the economic structure in this state. We should definitely view uh, the Bay Area as we do Southern California. There should be two very, very successful franchises in that area.
0: Yeah, you've long been a proponent for the A's staying in the Bay Area and having a nice new stadium. Obviously, you're a Nor- NorCal guy yourself. You have long-standing A's connections of your own. Uh, and I know you kind of have a soft spot for the for the A's in your in your heart. What do you think about I, I Do you follow the stadium pursuit pretty closely?
1: Well, you know, I go to Japan, for example, and I see 120 million people, and I'm going, what if we put three franchises there and they had 35, 40 million people to go to each franchise? And then you take Korea and you have 80 million people there, or 70 million people, and you have another 30 or 40 million per franchise. So you could take a Pacific Rim, and then all of a sudden, the Oakland's of the world, when you're talking about the evolution of baseball 15, 20 years from now, that these franchises on this, where the game could be a 24-7 game, Pacific time zone that time zone the integration of all this and you're talking about the number of Asian influence that we have in California on the west coast is that we could create a uh, an MLB market that would go from 300 or should say around 350 million including Canada to where we could rise to over 500 million fans that's my vision of what I see and why I see Oakland is a centerpiece of that Pacific theater that incorporates with the Asian uh, philosophy for uh, forthcoming so we don't want to take franchises out of merging just evolving areas where the corporate base the, the employees the weather and and such where the time zones fit the Asian market our market we 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 have bases of operation in cities that are two million people, two and a half million people. Cincinnati, Cleveland, you know, Kansas City, you go down the list and we're going to leave Oakland that has a base of 10 million people shared with the Giants and and they're on the road, where they're at home or there are you know, these kinds of things work in this universe. I just can't believe that we would ever think about leaving a, a, such a promising market knowing how the city of Oakland is transforming into a, a base that you would almost say that it's like a new Denver. Denver became a base of a city of about 3 or 4 million people and it all transformed where there's a whole young working culture in the 30s and 40s that are living and That's what we're seeing happen here with real estate, with companies and, and then the proximity of San Francisco. I I just don't think Major League Baseball should do anything but create and, and focus on this as one of its jewels market jewels
0: right yeah i think the, the population here is only supposed to go up i think another two million in the next five or ten years and obviously the economy here is is booming so yeah i, I think you're you're yeah my father has a right ranch money.
1: near sacramento and we we fully expect a train to pick him up to take him to a's games you know
0: i like the sound of that <laughs> yeah that sounds great well, Scott Boris, thanks as always for joining us on uh, first round picks show up day. Um, I, knowing the way you seem to have a, a relationship with the A's and the players they like, I, I suspect we'll see you here again this time next year. I hope so, Susan. <laughs> right. Tell Dad. Billy that, too. <laughs> thanks again to Scott Boris for joining us on A's Plus. We will be right back with David Feldman and Feldy's Follies. We are now joined on Apes Plus by David Feldman for Feldy's Follies. David, it's been a week since we talked last, maybe a little bit more than a week actually. Uh, since then, Lou Trevino's struggles have continued. It's been a little bit on and off. I actually thought he looked a lot better The last two times out on the road trip, particularly in Tampa, struck out the side. Um, Bob Melvin mentioned that today, uh, that he's been inconsistent. It hasn't necessarily been that he uh, has just been awful every time. I know fans have been very frustrated with Trevino and have questioned sort of uh, some of the way Melvin's used the bullpen lately. But uh, Trevino, to me, looked like... He was coming back a little bit to where he was before his uh, his struggles on Sunday and with a you know a bunch of walks and giving up four runs, even though only one was earned. So did I just answer the question I was asking you about <laughs> Lou Trevino? I don't know that was seems so, that was poor form by me. Well, what do you see that's going on with Trevino and and how he's been handled? I,
2: I think he's been handled fine actually. I again, the way he pitched in Tampa Bay, he looked the way he looked last year. He was dominant and his stuff at times is dominant. Sunday against Seattle, uh, he doesn't get any help with the, the fly ball drop by Canna, and then he just loses control. And you could see his body language on the mound. He, he has kind of, like, be, bewilderment on his face. Like, why aren't these pitches going into the strike zone? I'm releasing them the same way. They're acting the same way. They're just not strikes. And credit the hitters. They're laying off those pitches as well. They're not chasing anything up. Then he had to come in, and, and Seeger just kills it. It, it. It's a struggle right now just to find the consistency. Um but I'm with everybody else. The stuff looks the same.
0: The stuff looks good. He keeps saying he feels like he's not behind, getting behind the ball. Uh, he thinks maybe he's drifting a little. So these are little mechanical things he believes can fix. He can fix. Um, so maybe that helps with the location as much as anything, but the, the stuff looks nasty. You
2: worry about a guy starting to overthink, right? You start, you stop letting your talent just naturally take over and you start thinking. Do you start aiming? Do you start short arming it? And those are the warning signs you got to look for, and that's where he's at now because you can see it. It's almost mental with him right now because he doesn't understand it. So do you use him differently in this next week against Baltimore and Tampa Bay? Yeah, you'll probably try and look for a spot where he can have a little more more room for error. Um, and then by doing that, it's going to fall in the arms of some other guys in the bullpen. They're going to need to step up.
0: Right. So who do you see doing that? I mean, obviously Liam, Liam Hendricks has pitched pretty well. Yeah. Um, Wong has picked really well. Um, you know, obviously he's left-handed, so you might aim him toward a certain part of the lineup more than a, another part of the lineup. Uh, those kind of two guys that stick out to me, you have anybody else that you might use in later innings? I, I still, Soria, Soria's a little up and down.
2: Yeah, Soria, you might want to use him in the seventh inning, but I think Hendricks becomes your eighth inning guy. Yeah, just, and he's deserved it, right? Yeah. I mean, he's pitched really well right now, and he's definitely refined his stuff. Soria in the seventh, Wong in the seventh. And I'm okay with Petit as well. I know Petit wasn't great yesterday, but used correctly with against you know matchups in the right time, he can still be effective. But I think Hendricks is going to fall on that eighth inning.
0: Yeah, Petit's the guy that you know kind of he always Melvin always feels comfortable bringing him in with runners on base, using him in any situation throughout the game. So I think he just kind of keeps that everything kind of roll.
2: Yeah, you know what's interesting too. So the A's have now lost. Five games this season when leading after seven. Remember last year didn't happen last week. The other thing that's interesting is the A's have not won a game when trailing after seven. And if you think back to last year, I know we hate talking about last year, but if you think back to last year, uh, they destroyed teams in the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings. And the offense hasn't shown that yet. Mm. So that's another thing about where the A's are. The A's are at 500, and they have played like a 500 team. Um, It's still frustrating to think they're four and six against Seattle. 0-6 against Toronto. That's brutal. they got to stop that. Uh, And those are the teams, the type of teams last year, that they would beat up. Now, the one thing about the schedule so far, the A's have not played much of the AL Central. We haven't seen the White Sox yet. We haven't seen the Royals yet. So we see the Orioles here. Uh, The A's took three out of four in Baltimore. Uh, You're looking at these three games. I don't think, unless you sweep them, you're not happy. These are three wins you have to get um and that's going to come with the offense scoring late again i'd like to see more of the offense scoring late
0: yeah they've shown some signs here and there but they just can't quite get it done you know they've had rallies and have come up short yeah almost every time you know and uh, melvin has spent a lot of time going like well it, you know showed some good signs of life we did life we went you know we battled to the end and we had the tying run on it. but you know you're exactly right last year uh, these were the kind of games that they were winning. There were a lot of big comeback wins, a lot of one-run wins. They're not winning one, one-run one games. They're not always beating the teams they, quote-unquote, should. Um, they need to start making up ground against the lesser teams. They've been right around 500 for so long now and i asked melvin about that uh on the road trip at one point and he said yeah we you know we need to start kind of gaining we need to win series yes we need to take two out of three three out of four we need to start adding on to that but instead they just keep right now they are at 500. i think they've been at 515 times now something like that and i think eight times during this month alone which is extraordinary they've been they played what 16 games so they're always one forward, one back all month. That's that's hard to do, and that's not a that's not a way to make the postseason.
2: No, it's a winning series. That's why yesterday was so important, right? You win the series against Seattle. Okay, now we feel pretty good. But you lose the series. I look think back to the the three games in in Anaheim against the Angels, losing that series. The three games here against the Angels, losing. You can't lose those series. You need to win those series. You don't have to sweep them. Now, again, Baltimore, you have to sweep. You can't afford to lose any games against these teams. But for those teams, you just need to win the series and continually do that. Now, you look at a little longer stretch over what the last 28 games are 17 and 11. Okay, that includes a 10 game winning streak, right? So 7 11 outside of that, mm. that's not great. It's not going to do it. And so consistency is winning series. Now, again, I will bring up last year, hopefully for the last time, but this <laughs> right. was the time where they took off, right? It was Father's Day that weekend. Right. They took two out of three from the Angels, and then they were the best team in baseball for the rest right. of the year. Um, and it's asking
0: eight, a lot, though.
2: It's asking a huge thing, right? But you look at the teams around them. Okay, you're not going to catch Houston. I don't think, because Houston, think about it. They played without Correa, without Springer, without Altuve, and they're still winning every every game they play. You're not going to catch them. Um, and then you're dealing with the teams in the AL East, right? The Yankees, who just added another bomber, and they're going to get Stanton back. They're going to get Judge back. They're going to hit seven home runs a game. That's gonna, they're going to be unbelievable. Boston is starting to roll. Chris Sale is what he's going to be. And Tampa Bay, with their pitching, they're going to win a lot of games. So those are the teams you're competing against.
0: So you're saying the second wild card's is going to be tough?
2: The second wild card is going to be tough. But to even have a chance at that second wild card, you have to start winning now. Right. You can't fall any further. Two and a half games out of that second wild card. You can't afford to drop games because those teams are going to start to roll even more so than they are.
0: Well, we talked a lot this year, and I think we've probably spent the bulk of our time talking about the bullpen and its issues. They were so great, again, ugh, last year. I'm going to start, get a buzzer every time we say last year. Uh, But really, it was the strength of the team last year. And uh, this year, they've just been kind of a letdown. Now, A.J. Puck is being brought back as a reliever because of his innings limitations. He is not being turned into a reliever. He will be back to starting next year. I want to rush to explain that for people who have not been following what the plans are. Um, But Bob Melvin said today when I asked him about Puck, he said – the plan is probably to put him through all levels of the system before he's considered for a spot here in the bullpen. I, you know, usually I don't like to rush anyone. Right. I definitely don't think. But, you know, if he's completely sound and if he's blowing guys away, maybe make it a little bit of a quicker trip through the system because I would love to see A.J. Puck in the A's bullpen sooner than later. I mean, he is throwing 97, 98. He's left handed. His stuff is ridiculous. I think that he could be a really, really interesting option. We've talked about him as like the potentially the kind of David Price kind of guy wow. adding the bullpen. Uh, I don't know what his in, in, in innings total would be or if they would necessarily say. You know, until maybe late in the season, but um, use them now. Use them in the big leagues.
2: You've you got a guy like Tanner Anderson, who let's say he gets through the first five innings and you have the lead and you can bring in Puck for the next two innings and just let him blow for two innings and then take him out. This is a great role for him, and he's going to be dominant for those two innings. Right. His stuff is that good, especially for these hitters who haven't seen I haven't
0: him. Haven't seen him. Haven't seen him.
2: Right? They're, and so it's so hard to get a book. And hitters going against top-flight pitchers, they need to see a guy once or twice yeah. before they can really get a feel for him. They're not going to have that time against him. I think he's going to be really effective in that role. I, I, it. I, I love
0: it. I can't wait to see it. Yeah,
2: I don't think you need to wait. If he's healthy, if there's no That's chance the of hurting. Thing.
0: If he's 100% healthy, yeah. do it. And Do it sooner.
2: They said his stuff in these in the minor league rehabs that he's had has looked awesome. Yeah, yeah. If that's the case, let's go. Yeah. And um, again, there's no time to wait.
0: Yeah, that's kind of what, that's kind of how I'm thinking. And I hate rushing guys. And I if they if they think of it as rushing, then no problem. Go ahead, take your time with them. Uh, Jesus Lizardo uh, is moving more quickly, yeah. um, which I'm a little surprised. He's young. He's 21. He's coming off a shoulder injury. We know those are the ones that are really. You know, you want to be a little extra cautious with shoulder stuff. You don't want him to come back. Shoulder surgery is not necessarily an, an automatic fix. Um, so he will be starting at Vegas on Saturday. And that's great. It sounds like maybe he's a little bit accelerated, uh, more so than puck. You know, you think about it, how many innings do, do they want him to get before he's able to come up here, you know, taking into account performance if he's getting hit around. He's right. not coming up until he's, he's pitching well. But if he goes and blows guys away two or three starts in Vegas, there's a possibility he might be an option here.
2: And he should be an option here. Tanner Anderson in his two starts has been, has been fine.
0: Way more than anybody expected ever.
2: Exactly. I don't know if that's going to last. I hope it does. But in the time being, as Lazardo gets stronger and stronger, and Tanner, let's say, he becomes goes back to the mean. He pitches like he pitched in Vegas. He starts walking guys, giving up homers. Uh, then you've got to look at it as the option. Right. If if the A's are serious about winning this year and making it to the postseason, these are the guys that are going to get them there: the Puck and the Lizardos. I think. I agree. Those are the guys. You're not going to make these big deals. You're not bringing in these name players. These are your additions,
0: assuming full health and not rushing. Exactly.
2: That's <laughs> that's, I don't that's want a given. <laughs> no one rush.
0: I have bad flashbacks to so guys who are rushed. I think we can we could name all of them, um, and there have been a few uh speaking of the rotation i think you know the the very first couple of weeks we spent a lot of time talking about the rotation question mark question mark question mark uh right now they've kind of settled into a mostly pretty good groove and i was talking to a scout the other day about frankie montas and he said you know what the difference for this this year's team from last year's is now they have a big weapon in the rotation he said if they do get into a wild card situation they have a guy they can throw out there they don't need to use an opener they can just go with Montas. And you know what? If they've got Lazardo in the in the rotation at that point and some other options, they might be okay in a short series too following that. So he said he actually likes this year's team better than he likes last year's based on Montas. And he said he never would have thought that before. He's watched Montas his whole career. He's really surprised but the, the big leap in maturity as much as, as anything. And honestly, I think we were going to maybe talk a little bit about potential all-stars. I really hope uh, Montas is getting some consideration for a possible all-star spot. Cause he's just been terrific.
2: Yeah. I think if you look at on this A's roster and you go, know, okay, who's all-star worthy, but who really has a chance of making the team? And, and that's Frankie Montas. I, you know, Simeon's had a terrific year, but he's not going to make it as a shortstop on this team. Chapman's, he's unfortunately slumped off a little bit. He has and too, and then, a
0: little too much, I think. Uh,
2: yeah. And the numbers aren't there. Uh, Josh Fagley. Yes. Had a terrific year, but there are catchers are having better years. Um, but Frankie Montas is right there with the best starters in the American League. So I think he's a legitimate chance and a choice for, for this A's team. And maturity, I think, is the big thing. And you're seeing that. What I've been impressed with was his ability to pitch through traffic. He does give up base runners, and there's guys on base, but he doesn't seem to get worried by it, doesn't get you know frazzled by it. He, he calms down and he limits the damage. And that's what the good starters do, and he keeps his team in the game. And the rotation overall, Mike Fiers has pitched really well. Solid.
0: Anderson Brad, Anderson. Brad Anderson. Anderson. There's now two Andersons. Brad no. Anderson, solid.
2: You feel really good about him when he goes yeah. out there. I think as a whole.
0: Bassett, mostly good.
2: Mostly good. Yeah. Um, you're just, okay, we have a chance to win every time we go. out You're yeah. never feeling like, oh, this guy's no, pitching. No, it's the bullpen it's the, the bullpen.
0: Boom. So yeah. So let's get Let's get a movement. Let's get AJ Puck in here. Yes, Quick sooner it now. than later. Um, but don't rush him. Yeah, but don't rush him. <laughs> so, uh if the A's are sellers, uh, I mean buyers at the uh, trade deadline, which is a hard and fast July yes. 31st this year, which makes things interesting. You're either in or out. Um, I suspect they probably go for bullpen help. You know, pitching is probably what they would want. And I think they would follow the same script as last year, um, but maybe they don't have to if they're they're looking at Puck and then maybe later in the season Jarrell Cotton as guys that could pitch out of the bullpen. Uh, I'm not quite sure what they're going to do there, but I, I do think that they could use another bullpen arm or two if they could swing some fairly low risk deals.
2: Yeah, well, that's the thing too with the way the roster is made up. There's only three bench positions. And one of them is always going to be a backup catcher. So it's really two bench positions. There's not a lot you're going to add. I mean, you have your starting lineup, and that's that's what it is. Now, I and I've said this for a couple seasons now uh, with Mark Canna and Chad Pinder. When they play every day, they get exposed. And you're starting to see that with Canna right now as he's starting to struggle, as he's starting to play every day. You need to pick spots with those guys, uh, Chad Pinder especially, because you're sh- He's come up in some huge situations and Friday night against Seattle comes up with the bases loaded in the first inning. He's got to get a run and it's a double play. Yeah. Uh, normally he strikes out in that situation, which would have been preferable. Um, it's struggle. So, but they're your bench guys. I don't think that's going to change unless something falls into their laps. Yeah. Otherwise it's going to be bullpen help. Yeah.
0: Um, Actually, I'm a big fan of both Pinder and um, Kanna. And I, you know, I agree. Yeah. Especially when it's lefty righty, you know, kind of matchup considerations, but Kanna with his power off the bench. That's fantastic. And he's versatile. Pinder's incredibly versatile, actually very good in the outfield. Uh, And he's, I talked to him for a while today. I think he is just a little bit of a mess right now with his, he said he's going back to what he was doing in spring training. He's tinkered too much with his swing. I think he's putting a little too much pressure on himself. Uh, but everything I've seen up until this year, I've thought, I've agreed with Bob Melvin. I think Chad Pinder could potentially be an everyday type player in the big leagues. But I think right now he's just a little too much. And it's a little, he and Lou Trevino maybe need to sit down, down and right? chat about just like <laughs> easing up. Don't overthink it. Just do what you can.
2: Well, I just think they need to be, to be put in. Positions to succeed, in can at Pinder? And that—that's why I don't—I I disagree. I don't think Pinder's an everyday player. I've seen him play every day, and I see him get exposed, and I see him start to lose and start to fail. Yeah. So
0: well, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's find out. That's what, But that's what I you know, let's
2: give the A's um, front office some kudos on something that we both disagreed on, and that was getting rid of Edwin Jackson. Yes. Um, when he was May, they thought they re-signed him to a minor league contract. We thought he was going to be added to the to the rotation. And then right before that happens, he gets dealt to Toronto. And we both said, well, why are they doing this? Because it's, it's got to be perfect. Turns out they were right. Yeah, Edwin Jackson's got nothing left. Edwin Jackson. Which p- is a
0: shame. I, I really love Edwin Jackson. It is.
2: And he's pitching for Toronto. And they run him out there every fifth day. Actually, today he was the... Uh, second pitcher they had an opener he came in he lasted two-thirds of an inning gave up seven runs three homers
0: unfamiliar role
2: yeah his ERA now over 12 with the Blue Jays and that includes two starts where he gave up a bunch of runs that were unearned um and we loved Edwin and wanted him to succeed but I think the A's made the right choice there so credit to them for that
0: yeah there was something that they weren't that they weren't seeing and they wanted to see or something they saw that they didn't like for sure and yeah, it was a. It seemed like a quick trigger at the time, but but uh, yeah, you know what? And they gave him a major league opportunity, let him go to Toronto, and you know, good for them to yeah. for doing that. But yeah, I might mean, be right. Yeah, maybe he'll come back around, David. I'm not gonna. This one, I'm not gonna say you're you're <laughs> wrong, but uh, yeah, I hope you might be a little bit wrong on that one. Um, anything else jump out at you over the last week?
2: Uh, just looking at the minor league guys, you know, we're seeing some uh, minor league infielders, especially, are really hitting the ball well. And Franklin Barreto has turned his season around. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe it was just the frustration of not making the team, thinking he was going to make it. He went to Japan, uh, especially after the Olsen injury. Maybe I'm going to stick around, and it didn't happen. Maybe it just mentally he, was, he checked out for a while. But you look at his numbers now, he's up to 287, which means he's That's hit about sh- extraordinary. 330 now yeah, in the last month. Because he was
0: hitting like 120 for a long time. A long
2: time. And he's got the power. He's not striking out at quite as much as he was. He's stealing bases. And the other guy has just been fantastic is Jorge Mateo.
0: I can't wait to see him up here.
2: And this is an an athlete which we love to watch play. He runs. He's hit. He's got the most hits in the PCL.
0: He's electrifying. He's absolutely electrifying.
2: And then the other guy that caught my eye when I was looking at some numbers today was uh, Dalton Jeffries at Midland. Yeah. So Dalton Jeffries goes to Midland. He started the year in A Midland. He's thrown 28 innings, 27 strikeouts, one Walk.
0: Good for him. That's nice. Those are Lizardo type numbers.
2: Exactly. So that that just stands out to me. It's like Dalton Jeffries. I saw him pitch a cow. He definitely has a major league way about him. Sorry, I uh... I was just
0: saying. (laughs) Obligatory.
2: But a major league, he had this way about him. It looked like a major league pitcher and now he's starting to work his way back and that's really nice to see and to have one walk 27 strikeouts that's unreal
0: yeah i love the local guys and i hope he can contribute at some point i would imagine maybe he might be a possibility in september caprillian has been pitching um he's working his way back and uh nice to see him grant holmes a lot of a lot of these guys who were hurt in the minor leagues are also now taking big steps towards regaining health and might be options at some point if needed. So, yeah, good to keep that in mind and, and make sure to read those minor league box scores.
2: You know, it's fun to look at those guys, especially when you look at PCL. And we talked about this before. They're using the Major League Baseball, and the ball is just flying.
0: Flying. There's
2: home runs galore all over the PCL. And then you go down to Midland in the Texas League, and they're using the minor league ball they have, and there's no home runs. <laughs> and it's really hard to get a judge on guys with power. Uh, you look at the Ace in Midland, like two homers, four homers. You just, who, why,
0: don't, why don't they just start using the big league ball everywhere?
2: That's what I think is going to happen. I, I don't know what if it's finances or it's distribution. I don't know. Oh, yeah,
0: Major League Baseball is very poor. It's notably very poor. Well, that's the whole, you know, speaking of that,
2: so you have colleges who are still using these, you know, not they're not aluminum bats, but they're composite bats. They're not wood bats. Why doesn't Major League Baseball subsidize just, that? Yeah. And just put wood bats. You're going to get a much better reading on the players that That's are your future. That's why they put future.
0: so much on the Cape Cod League. It's because exactly. they're using wood wood bats. Yeah, take it down to the college league. Yeah, Major League baseball's making billions. Billions. Billions.
2: You can throw a few bats their way. How about some baseballs their way? Let's start using the same thing that they're using in the majors. I think it would be a better for everybody, for the game as a whole. You'll learn a lot more about what you have, especially at the college level, because there are teams now. Who really do look at college as a double A, triple A situation? Where mm-hmm. I, if I know a guy's successful there, I can bring him up to the big leagues. I saw
0: depending on the league, absolutely. Yeah, yeah.
2: You know, the number one pick in the draft, Adley Rutschman at Oregon State. Um, the Orioles drafted him number one. There's he should be up next year.
0: I mean, it's the Orioles. He could be up this year. He could be
2: up this year, and he's coming from playing in the Pac-12, was the highest form of college baseball. Uh, the coaching that he received at Oregon State, the competition he played against, he's proven it all. Golden Spikes winner. There's no reason he can't make this jump right here with the training that he's already had.
0: Yeah. Well, David, I'm going to say actually you're right on this hey, one. Hey, got one. Yay, you got one. <laughs> uh, we look forward to talking to you again, uh, I presume, next week, sometime soon I on Follies so. Follies, which is, um, don't tell everybody else, it's my favorite segment. So we'll yeah. get you <laughs> right, right back on soon. All right. Thanks, Susan. David Feldman, an official scorer and stats expert, joins us semi-regularly on A's Plus. Our thanks again to him. This episode was produced by King Kaufman and Livy Coleman. We will be back with more A's Plus next week. Thanks for listening. A's Plus is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. If you like this show, please subscribe, tell a friend, or give us a review. Follow me on Twitter at Susan Slusser, or you can email me at sslusser at sfchronicle.com. Support A's Plus and a lot of great journalism with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.